Bibles up tonight to Romans chapter 8. to read two verses there, verse 24 and 25. The Bible says, therefore, we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then Do we with patience wait for it? And I want to preach here tonight on this thought about confidence that brings hope. Let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts and our lives. Our Lord Jesus Christ, I am thankful for your spirit I am thankful, Lord, for your word. I'm thankful, Lord, that during the times, Lord, that our lives, Lord, seem so out of balance and so out of kilter, that our dependence, Lord, is not on ourselves, but, Lord Jesus Christ, it is on you. Lord, even now, I am aware, Lord, that there are so many needs Lord, in our lives, Lord, across this congregation, pressures, challenges, pains, things, Lord, that plague our minds and our spirits. I pray, Jesus, for the next little while that your word would minister faith and hope, Lord, to every one of us that your spirit, Lord, has filled us, that we have been born again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I um, hope that you have... I know that perhaps I have um, preached several messages out of this chapter, Romans chapter 8, and uh, still got a few more verses to go. But Romans chapter 8 can bring great confidence to every child of God. This morning, whenever Brother Justin was preaching about the wrath of God, and you start realizing the, the fact of that is one of the great doctrines that we find woven throughout the word of the Lord. And it is true that through that first three chapters or so of Romans, 
there's a lot that's talked about about the wrath of God and what's going to take place in this world. And yet whenever you come to Romans chapter 8, there's a part where that we begin to realize that this matter of salvation is the greatest treasure that any of us could have in our lives. There's something about it that whenever you start looking at this matter of salvation, that again, uh, that we ought to all here tonight want to live for the Lord. And yet there are moments whenever you realize the wrath of God and, and you realize the high standards that the Lord has, that if you are even remotely a, a Christian that is conscientious about your life, Whenever we start delving into areas about the grace of God, there can be a part of us, and I think some of that is spiritual warfare that the enemy wants you to think that it is too good to be true that the Lord would be able to extend grace and salvation to any of us. And yet Paul takes this Romans chapter 8 and he begins to speak to that particular matter. And there's something about it that, that if we have been converted, that if there is the Spirit of God that's living inside of our lives and that you have a relationship with God, not, not a relationship with a church, not a relationship with a pastor or a preacher or even an organization, but if you have been born again, there is something about it that Scripture tells us that there is a direct witness of the Spirit that you sense and you know and you begin to realize that God is indeed at work in every one of our lives. There, there are some areas of your life that suffering will take place. I don't know if you are aware of this, but the song that uh, Sister Amber Forrest sang just a few minutes ago, that the lady that wrote that song, where did that song come from? It was because that her husband had a catastrophic illness to come on him and the Lord did not heal him. And she began to realize that out of that challenge and trial of life, that there were tears that brought great blessing to her life. And, and I believe that, that here tonight, that even amidst the challenge, and the pressure that we feel in this hour that you can still have confidence and know that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to bridge the gap and he is going to save us eternally. And when you start looking at this matter of, com of confidence, confidence in, in what? Well, in verse 1, that there is no condemnation. In, in verse 2, that the spirit of life, that it has indeed made me free. In verse 3, that sin's power, that it has been broken. In verse 4, that you can walk in the spirit. In verse 5, that there is a spiritual awareness that takes place. It says that, that we do mind the things of the spirit. 
And then in verse 6, we know that a spiritual mind, it brings, Paul says, life and peace. And then in verse 9, he goes on and he begins to say that the Spirit of God, that it dwells uh, within us. And then in verse 11, we begin to see that the Spirit of Christ is going to raise up this mortal body. And then you look in verse 13 and know that the Spirit can help you to overcome and to mortify the sin that is resident there in your body. We will have it until we are gone from this world. In fact, I remember one of the things that Brother Pugh said, and at the time I was so young, really did not grasp what he said, but he said it like this, there are no permanent spiritual victories this side of the rapture. That means that... There will be a striving that's going to take place in our lives. But in verse 16, 15, we are, 14, we are the sons of God. In verse 15, we have been adopted. Now, what does that mean? It, remember, Jesus was talking uh, to the Pharisees and he looked at them and, and again, this is something that, that perhaps American Christianity does not present to us, but Jesus looked at them in John 8 and he said, you are of your father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning and is the father of all lies. And yet, Paul Paul comes along and says that, that our father is no longer the devil, that, that God is my father because he has filled me with his spirit. And then in verse 16, we're children of God. And then verse 17, we're glorified with the Lord. And then verse 18, the suffering that is here will not compare to the coming glory. And then in verse 19, there is coming a day when we will be completely clothed as sons of God. And then in verse 21, we are delivered from the bondage of corruption that is coming in to our lives. These first 21 verses in Romans chapter 8 that is what a spirit-filled Christian looks like. It's no wonder that the devil would try to keep us away from the word of the Lord because he does not want you to know what your position is and where and who you are as a child of God. And so if you want to look at it in another way, then ask yourself this question, what does a child of God look like in Romans chapter 8? Well, here are some phrases that you find there that we are in Christ Jesus and according to the Spirit and in the Spirit and by the Spirit. When you start looking at some of those prepositional phrases that are there, then you begin to realize that there is something about this Holy Ghost that the Lord has filled us with his spirit that we are alive more than we could ever realize whenever you received the Holy Ghost and you were born again. 
I think that there is something about it. I, I would caution uh, those of you here tonight that you never seem to feel that, that there is a groaning that Paul, that he talks about in Romans chapter 8. Here's what he says. He says that, that a true believer, a child of God, then there's a groaning that goes on inside of him. That What is that groaning about? That there is wanting to be a part where that you are released from from this life. You ever thought about this part? You get a new house and you stay in that new house for a little while and, and then pretty soon it's like there's still a dissatisfaction with that house. You, you may have some accomplishment. You may graduate some degree. You may land some job. You, you may even get a new car. You, you may even somehow get gather up things in your life that you begin to think, well, if I get to this place or if I get to the other, then uh, the groaning will stop. But listen to me, as long as the Spirit of God is in your life, there is gonna be a yearning that's on the inside of you that says this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And I pray tonight that every one of you here that you experience that groaning. Not that I don't want you to not be content in this life, but don't fall in love with this world. And then there are some that would say, well, I don't ever feel that. Well, I think there perhaps are two reasons that you may not feel that. First of all, is a lack of spiritual maturity. You've never moved forward in your relationship with the Lord. Or the second one, which is even more alarming, and that's this, is that you have not been born again. And that's concerning to me. That's concerning to me that right here, even in our church here, the Lord tells us that there will be tares that are there among the wheat. Peter talks about it, that you may need to make your calling and your election sure that there is a part that you begin to ask yourself, am I truly converted? And so I ask you this question here tonight. When you talk about conversion, if the only time that you ever read the word of the Lord is whenever we come to church, I would question whether or not you have been truly converted. If the only time that you ever pray is here in a public corporate setting, then I would question whether or not that you have been converted. If you hang around the church and you look the part but there has never been that real hunger and desire for spiritual things and to advance in the kingdom of God, then I would question whether or not that you have been truly converted. We are living in the last days, church, and it is incumbent on every single one of us here tonight in this church that for us to say, where do I stand with the Lord? Because here's the thing. The biggest fool is the fool that has deceived himself. But that's not what I want to preach about here tonight. I want to talk about the confidence that brings hope into your life. Look at what Paul writes there in verse 24. He says, for we are saved by hope. 
And when you look at that in the King James, there is a part where that, that, that word, some of the more modern translations, they, they don't use the word that we are saved by hope. They, are saved, they say we are saved in hope. That, that would mean that we are completely dependent on salvation because it is the very source of every bit of the hope that you have. And, and there is nothing else in your life that matters like knowing whether or not you have been saved. That, that's crucial, church. That, that is so important that you understand that fact that there is nothing else in your life that matters except eternal salvation. And that is the story of Christian as he moves through this world here and he is on his way to the celestial city. He's in, and, and I've mentioned that, that story hundreds of times, but there is that place where that when he gets into Vanity Fair that he's going into a place and they're selling everything. They're, they're selling real estate. They're selling uh, oxen. They're selling farm implements. They're selling clothes. They're offering everything and Christian and faithful begin to walk through that area and it's almost like that they have to cover their ears up and say that I am born again and there is a treasure of salvation and I do not want to get stuck in Vanity Fair. And so Paul comes along, and, and notice what he says here. He says, we are saved in relation to that fact. You have been liberated from the guilt and from the bondage of sin. I don't ever want to get to the place where that, that oh, it's just second fiddle. It's just, oh, that, yeah, yeah, I'm saved. I, I feel good about things. I don't ever want it to get to that part in this morning whenever Brother Justin started reading through Isaiah 53. If you can read that chapter and it not be move you, I would just say you ought to stir your heart up and just think about what the Lord did for you on Calvary that he was bruised he was chastised the wrath of God was poured out on that spotless sinless sacrifice for every one of us and so Paul says it like this we're saved in hope of our total liberation from sin. And I, I want to tell you this year tonight that there can be great deliverance that can come to every saint of God whenever you begin to realize that you are doomed and that you are on your way to literally, as they used to say, a devil's hell. But whenever the Holy Ghost got on the inside of you, Paul said that whole thing is changed and now we are saved. We're saved in this hope of knowing that there's a better life coming, that there's a better day in front of the church, and that there is hope and power that you have inside of your life. Now you start thinking about that just literally from uh, your your own your own fleshly human body, and and that's this is that disease. Diseases are going to be completely gone. Deformities of the body 
They're going to be healed. Your mind is no longer going to be clouded by any of the things that this world tries to inject into your spirit. Your body is not going to be subject to weariness and pain. The anxieties and the worries and, and the fretting that our mind goes through, every bit of that is going to be gone. There will be no more agonizing over the condition of family members, of, of situations that you're dealing with and pressures and trials and what sin has done to us, what it's done to our families and what it's done to our world. And Paul comes along and he says, listen to me. He said, there is hope that you can have in this Holy Ghost, in this Spirit of God that was invested in your life and in your spirit. For me, it was in that old white house. It wasn't a camp meeting. It wasn't a youth camp. And, and uh, as much as I appreciate preaching, I have to confess to you tonight that, that I don't remember... <coughs> What Brother Patterson preached that night, I was seven years old and I walked up uh, to that. It, they had an altar, but the altar was, was full and, and uh, there was a metal chair. And so I knelt down at that metal chair. I'd been up there multiple times and, and probably had spoken tongues, but my mother and dad never told me I got the Holy Ghost. Their question was this, was have you been, are you satisfied? And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Because you're going to battle with doubts if you've got the Spirit. You're going to battle with doubts. Well, I wonder if I've got the Holy Ghost or not. But there came a moment in my life when there was no doubt that the Holy Ghost had invested itself into my life. Trust me, it is I have not lived a perfect life since that time. But listen to me, church, whenever there have been areas and avenues that we have ventured into, I pray tonight that if you have been filled with the Spirit, then there was a matter of conviction that was on the inside of you that said you need to move away from that. You need to get away from that. You need to repent and turn around and get away from that in your life. And so it is that when deliverance comes into our lives, we realize that there is going to be a day whenever I'm going to exhibit every bit of Jesus Christ in my life. It won't be now. It'll be when I'm glorified and over on the other side. But hear me, church, there ought to be something about it that you've got the hope on the inside of you that you keep marching, you keep walking, you keep saying there's no way I'm fixing to turn around and go in the opposite direction because there is nothing in this life that is worth missing heaven for. Every time that you have a sense of righteousness of the Lord working in you, I believe that there ought to be a greater desire to be completely freed of the bondage that your flesh and spiritual weakness comes in to your life. But you know what? We're, we're not the only ones that have experienced that. David expressed it. Look with me to Psalm 38. Psalm 38 and 4 here is what David says. He said, for my iniquities, they've gone over my head. He said, like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. 
Skip down to verse 9, Psalm 38. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from you. My heart, it pants, and my strength, it fails me. And as for the light of my eyes, it is also gone away from me. That's how sometimes you can feel under the burden and the weight and the challenges that you face during the week that sometimes when you come in here, you say, I don't even have a right to lift my hands and worship the Lord. I don't even have really the the desire to do that. But hear me, church, whenever you walk into the sanctuary and you begin to lift your hands to the Lord, there is something that begins to happen on the inside of you that you didn't generate, but that the Spirit of the Lord generated on the inside of you. That's why we cannot be a dead Pentecostal church. We've got to be a vibrant, worshiping, praying, separated Pentecostal church because every bit of the power that you need for your life, you find it in this sanctuary when we begin to praise the Lord. In the meantime, what's taking place in my life? Well, there's some things that we can see in the word of the Lord that is taking place in our lives. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I, if you've got your Bibles, I would like for you to turn and see this in your Bible instead of just looking on the screen and seeing it there. But turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look with me beginning in verse 6. These are the things that are taking place in the life of a child of God. Here's what the Bible says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse eight. Who shall also confirm unto you the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me throw a big theological term at you. And I read something about preaching the other day that I'm just going to kind of just, I'm going to keep plowing along at. I think sometimes that we have turned preaching into nothing more than just a pep rally. And that's not, the, that's not your fault, that's preacher's fault. And I was, was listening to, a, actually going through a lecture series. I've got a class that I have uh, signed up for and am taking and, and uh, this is what the, the man that was teaching that class had to say. He said, I'm just going to tell you, he said, as a pastor, he said, if you're regularly preaching to that church, he said, here's what you need to do. He said, you don't need to let that church pull you down to their level. He said, you need to pull them up to their up, you need to pull them up to the level that you're trying to go. That means that preaching ought to be biblically and word driven. That you're not a bunch of first graders. And we don't have to tell you stories, but we can walk through things in Scripture like we're doing right now. Imputed righteousness. That's, that's what Justin was talking about here this morning. Do you realize what that means? That means Caleb does. He learned it in Bible college. That imputed righteousness is this, and this is a stunning thought. 
that every bit of the sin that was inside of your life, every horrible thing that you have ever done, that whenever you were born again, that the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ was put into your life so that whenever God begins to look at you, he doesn't see that sin, that the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God has replaced every bit of that sin that is on the inside of you and that was in your life before you were ever converted. Do you understand what the magnitude of that is? Think about where you come from. Think about what you were involved in. Now here's the trick of the enemy. He wants you to remember it but when you start trying to bring it up the Lord says I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you worrying? Why are you fretting about that? I've made you blameless. I have washed you whiter than snow and there is a strength and a power in the Holy Ghost that can tell you tonight that you are saved in that hope. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. That's right, Sister Tanya. That's right. I'm going to tell you, wherever you come from, it's gone. It's in the past. It's buried. You're blameless. You're a saint of God. You're a child of God. I remember a conversation I had with Brother Arnold. It was sometime probably around about maybe... Uh, 2007 or maybe 2008 and we were at Sonny's Barbecue there in uh, uh, Gainesville just right off of Interstate 75 and and this is what he was talking. He said, Brother Harrelson, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, if you preach the grace of God, he said, that's a dangerous doctrine among apostolics. He said, because here's the part. He said, we are holiness minded people and he said, sometimes if you are holiness minded, you get so caught up in what you're doing, how you look, how you dress, where you go, where you don't go and he said what happens is we forget it it is the grace of God that is saving us that does not negate a, a commitment or separation from the world but listen to me church if I have to depend on my righteousness I am sunk but if I look to the word of God and know this that I'm gonna be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ that ought to get something in my life stirred up to say I'm filled with gratitude. I'm filled with thankfulness because I am blameless whenever I am in front of you. Turn over a few pages and look with me to Colossians chapter one. Sometimes I wish I wasn't such a yeller. Colossians chapter 1, look in verse 22. Here's what the Bible says. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight 
Now, he does, he, he, he attaches something here. He says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and you are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made minister. Do you see that? He says, verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death, not through my death, not through my desire, not through my performance, but through the cross he's going to present me holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Again, this morning Justin preaching about that matter of human anger and I'm going to tell you, I just like y'all, there's times where you're my anger, I'm not going to put you in it, but there are times that I'm going to have to straighten up a little bit. I, I have got me a new new car. And uh, oh, Lord, confession, I shouldn't even have got into this. But anyway, for years, I have wanted a personalized plate. For years. I wanted a personalized plate. I'd walk up there and I'd ask those folks, how much is a, a personalized plate? And they'd tell me, I'm not going to pay that. I don't want it that bad. But I marched in there the other day and I thought, and I tell you what, I'm 54 years old and I deserve a personalized plate. Now, now here... <laughs> Here's where I'm going to have to get my act together because y'all have all seen those cars around town that's got the little fish on the back side of it and uh, they cut you off in traffic and they got bumper stickers all over the back and, and they got these Christian, I'm a Christian, but they're not driving very Christian-like and you think one of two things, either a sinner bought that car from a saint or that's a saint that is in a seriously backslidden condition. I am going to have to straighten my act up because my personalized plate is 2 Tim 4 2. Preach the word. And I'm going to have to cut back a little bit, I'm sure, on how fast I drive. Although I do have, this is what the Bible says, talking to Jehu. It asked about Jehu, Jehu, why are you driving so furiously? And he said, the Lord's work requires haste. And so I may have to <laughs> lean on that and say, Hey guys, the word of the Lord or the work of the Lord requires haste. But but listen, listen to me here tonight, church, that 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 whenever you start realizing that your salvation it, it is dependent, the fact that we ought to be separated and we ought to be holy. But listen to me, if your performance has gotten into the place where it constantly hounds you with condemnation and constantly creates questions in your mind. I wonder if I'm saved. I wonder if I'm even a child of God. Then here's what you have to do. 1 Corinthians 1, 6, 8. Colossians 1, 22, 23. You ought to underline those in your Bible and write out to the side. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is not of Philip Harrelson. Salvation is not the fact that I went here and got that and did this and graduated 
from that school and got the other and I've wrote this and read the Bible this and that and the other those things have contributed to my spiritual growth but hear me tonight none of those things are going to save me because when I start trying to chalk it up Lord I've done this for you and I've done that for you it's always going to fall short so what do you do you say it was the most historical event in human history at the cross that the Lord Jesus Christ he died for your sins they buried him and three days later he came out of that grave and then he began to pour his spirit out that's the confidence that can bring hope to your life it's not your performance it is not how good you are but how good God is it's how good the Lord is in our lives let me read this to you as well. Turn over a few pages to 1 Thessalonians 3. In verse 13, he says to the end, 1 Thessalonians 3, y'all hear those pages turning? First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, we beg you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ that as you have received us, how you ought to walk and to please God so you would abound more and more. Here's what Paul is saying. He don't flip those verses backwards and say you, you've got to walk and then when you get good enough, then the Lord's going to save you. He doesn't say that. He said he's going to establish your heart unblameable in holiness and once he does that, then verse 1, it begins to affect the way you walk, the way you talk. Whenever you lay your hands on somebody and pray for them, that it, yes, it is you praying for them, but there is a supernatural flow of the Holy Ghost that begins to flow into your heart and into your spirit. My brothers, those of you that are fathers, you ought to get up in the middle of the night and you ought to go to your children room and lay your hands on those kids and pray for them. You ought to lay your hand on your wife's head at 2.37 in the morning and say, God, I want you to put your hand on my wife. I want you to save my family. I want you to save my grandchildren because listen to me, there is power in a apostolic praying person whether it's a male or whether it's a female. If the spirit of God is on the inside of you. There is resonant power that's inside of you. Those references, they speak to our hope. And I want to reiterate this again. I've told you this before and I'm going to tell you again. God is working harder to save me than I'm working to save myself. You realize that? That God is working harder to save you and you're working to save yourself. Now again, I, I know, 
I know there will be people that that they are <coughs> hearing what I'm preaching here tonight, and they're going to take that as a license. They're going to say, oh, yeah, see there, Brother Harrelson says, you can go out and you can do this and that and the other, and then you turn around and come back. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do to, to, to give kind of violence to what I preached in Romans 8. I'm going to hit that passage in Romans or in Hebrews 6 again where it talks about the impossibility of, of those that, that it becomes hard for you to repent. The writer of Hebrews addresses that in Hebrews 6, and he addresses that in Hebrews. 10. I'm going to pull those out and I'm going to work through those but listen to me tonight church there ought to be something about every one of you that says you know what God has invested a great treasure inside of my heart and I want God to fulfill his purpose in his life I bought a Bible as if I needed another one but I bought a Bible I stopped in a thrift store and I was shocked. It was, a, it was a, a Bible. There's no name in the front of it. But stamped on the front of it is a guy's name's Jimmy Kemp. I don't know who Jimmy Kemp is. Obviously, he died. And they got rid of his Bible, his family, which was, I'm stunned that they would do that. And it's an old Schofield. It's probably 40, 50 years old. Uh, it's well used. I opened it up and started looking at it. I'll buy used Bibles. The thing is under, it's not highlighted, so that tells you how old that it is. When there's ballpoint pen, that Bible is written up from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And I started reading some of the things that's written there in the margins on the word of the Lord. I'm just telling you here tonight that if you are spirit-filled, that you understand that this book right here is literally, it is God breathed. These are God's words. And if you are spirit filled, you're going to have an insatiable hunger to know what is in this book. You're going to spend time with it. You're going to, it's going to be at your kitchen table. You're going to write things down in it. You're going to do Bible study with it. You're going to say, Oh dear God, I can't wait to get to church and hear somebody preach the word, not preach them sales, not give a testimony service, but to tell me what this book says because these right here are the words of God and you ought to desire the word of the Lord more than anything else in your life. You ought to desire it. Now let me hurry on. I've got six minutes and 40 seconds left. Look in verse chapter Romans chapter 8 and look at the last half of that verse. Here's what, here's what Paul says. First half of that verse, he's talking about the deliverance that hope brings. Now here's what he says. He said, I'm, let me define it for you. But hope that is seen, it's not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? Paul, Paul is saying, if you have a possession, I was somewhere here a few days ago and, and, and they said, we want you to fill out some questions for your, your password. And we'll know if you forget your password, if you give the answer to this question, then uh, you can go back and we'll help you retrieve your password. 
And so one of mine that I picked, I thought, I can remember this. What was your first car? Oh, man. My first car. I went all the way back to 1982. Before some of y'all was even born. And I had a 1976 baby blue Monte Carlo. And I'm telling you, it, 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 it was something else. It, it had a little latch on the deal to seat down there where the, when you sit down to get out, you click that little latch and you kind of swivel out. I'm telling you, I thought I was the coolest thing that had ever walked. And, uh, man, I was just, oh, man, I got this car. This, man, this car. I just, and I, my dad, my, my mother bought me a, uh, a, uh, power booster. Y'all know what a power booster is and got all those big speakers and all that stuff in your car and you're riding around town listening to the Imperials and listening to listening to Carmen and Petra and Resurrection Band which was all off limits. I was supposed to be listening to Southern Gospel but I, I was listening to that so that stuff, that contemporary Christian stuff that was on the blacklist and sneaking down. I wasn't listening to rock and roll, okay? I was listening to contemporary Christian music. I want to make sure that you know that. And, uh, man, I was riding around, and I thought, man, working at the Piggly Wiggly and driving that, I watched that thing about twice a week. There, there were times where I'd get out where my, mom, where my mom and dad lived now, and it'd be about 40 degrees on Saturday, and I'd be out there freezing to death. Lip, just teeth chattering out there, washing that Monte Carlo, trying to keep that thing clean. And, man, I thought that car was, so I clicked it in. That's my first car was that Monte Carlo. And then I started, I drove by Solomon Chevrolet one day, and I saw the Monte Carlo Supersport. And that was in 1982-83. And I started looking at that 76 Monte Carlo. I thought, wow, man, what a piece of junk. This thing is a rattle trap, man. I, I tell you, I want one of those Monte Carlo super sports. And if I remember right now, I think they were like $12,000. And you think, boy, I'd love to have a brand new car right now that costs $12,000. But anyways, minimum wage back then was $3.35 an hour. So that kind of tells you a little bit. But, but you get it in there like, man, I wish I had one of those Monte Carlo super sports. And, and that's what Paul is talking about. Now, I have denigrated that with that illustration, but here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, the hope that I'm telling you about, he said, if you've got it and you're driving it and you're involved in it, he said, you can't hope for it because you've got it. But I want to tell you that when the Lord filled you with the Holy Ghost and you were born again, all of a sudden there got to be something inside of your heart and your spirit. It was a pull that said, oh my Lord, this world, I'm dissatisfied here. I don't really know what it's going to be like over on the other side. I see glimpses and, and there are clues that are occasionally scattered in the word of the Lord. But I know this, that what I've experienced down here is just a small foretaste of what it's going to be like on the other side. Don't let the devil deceive you, church. Heaven is going to be absolutely unbelievable. And when you get there, you will say, thank God 
that I put everything in this world behind me because heaven is going to be worth everything in your life. And here's what Paul says. I have talked about the resurrection so much in the last three or four years, but, but here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. He said, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's planted in dishonor, and it's raised in glory. It's planted in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's planted in a natural body, but it's it's raised up in a spiritual body. There's a natural body which is right here and there is a spiritual body that you will experience over on the other side. Listen to me church, there is no temptation right now in this world that you ought to even be contemplating and saying well I think I want to backslide. I think I want to go dabble around a little bit. That is the most foolish thing that any of us could do. And so what's our resurrected body going to be like? I believe it's going to be somewhat like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6 and verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul goes on, Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation or lifestyle, it's in heaven. From whence also we look to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. If you look at the post-resurrection appearances of the Lord, there's some hints is that what we can understand. His body still bore the marks of the crucifixion. Luke 24 and 30, he was able to eat. Luke 24, John 20, various references there. He, he looked like himself, but it was only when he allowed the disciples to recognize him that they realized, oh, this is the Lord. He could be touched and felt. Here's something else. He could appear and disappear and in an instant. He could pass through closed doors, John 20, verse 19, John 20, verse 26. So I would just say this, when you get to heaven, I'm going to recognize Brother Adam, I'm going to recognize Sister Tanya, I'm going to recognize Brother Pierce. I pray I recognize all of you that when you get to heaven, that there will be a body. It's like, hey, there's my dad. Hey, there's my mother. Hey, there's Sister Patterson. Hey, there is, because we will be recognized there. There will be distinct features that you have here that whenever you get to the other side, except, listen to me, it's going to be absolutely unbelievable. We don't know exactly 
how we are going to be until we meet the Savior face to face. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. And I'm going to skip the last section. You can take a look at it. Verse 25 talks about... <coughs> Paul talks about how long that the hope is. He said, but if, if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience. We wait for it. That, that, what's the duration of your hope? There's a time that you wait. And where's the waiting? It's going on right now. I'm just going to throw this out here. This is for free. <clears throat> We, we, we live in a time when the spiritual pressure has been ratcheted up in such an incredible degree on the saints of God that there is a war that's going on in heaven right now. There is a battle that's taking place. We're feeling the remnants and we feel the pressure of that. I was in a district board meeting Started uh, sat, uh, Friday morning and uh, went on. We started around 8, 30, 9 o'clock, and we went several hours. Worked straight on through lunch. And I started listening to pastors and preachers, and even at our district conference during the time that we had prior uh, to the to the meeting starting Friday night. We had about a two and a half hour time to just mix and mingle with ministers. There were pastors that were telling me about the horrific pressure that they're under. Listen to me, church. The people that you sit next to, the people that are across the aisle from you, the people that are in front of you, and the people that are behind you, this place needs to be a sanctuary. It needs to be a place where when you come in here that you feel the ability to be able to pray. You feel the liberty of the Holy Ghost. You feel strength that's coming through whenever there is singing that's going on. And I, I want to I say this, that, that we don't need feel-good messages all the time. You need solid theology. But we battle a world right now that when you walk in this place, it's almost like you're plugging in your phone to be charged up again. You need the power and the strength of the Holy Ghost because we're in an interval. We are waiting. I want to tell you here tonight, don't be one of those uh, workers of concision. Every one of us here ought to be a Barnabas. That You ought to be a son of consolation and a minister of encouragement that you tell people, I'm praying for you. You. And you don't just tell them that, but you pray for them. You pray for them. Now, I won't confess this to you, and I told the Lord this. I've told the Lord this several times in the last two months because there are times where that I feel, and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I feel guilty about this. I said, but it's like my prayer sometimes is turned into a shopping list. Okay, you y'all know what I'm talking. You go to, you go to Walmart, and and you got to get donuts, powdered donuts, 
powdered donuts for my wife and powdered donuts for Sullivan. That's how we get Sullivan back in his cave. Sullivan, you want a donut? Man, he runs off back and jumps in that cave. Okay, I wish passionate church was at it. Y'all want a donut? Okay. But but you go to Walmart and it's got coffee creamer and powdered donuts and milk and, and bananas and all the other stuff. And I told the Lord this other day, I said, Lord, please forgive me. I said, I feel like there are times I'm walking through a shopping list, but I start, I pray for my wife. I pray for my kids and their wives and, and, and a future husband. And I pray for my grandchildren. I pray for my parents. I pray for Brother Patterson. And I start walking through and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I feel like I pray for you people here in this church. I pray, I'm, I'm telling you now, there's a journal I've got upstairs and you can look. I've got your name written down in that book where I have prayed for you. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, forgive me. There's times where I feel like that I'm praying a shopping list, but I, I mention your name. Please, church, I want to encourage you. You need to be praying for everything every person that's in this church because we are living in a pressure cooker and when you walk into the church it needs to be a sanctuary it needs to be a place where you feel like I've walked into a fortress and there's protection here there's pastors there are lay ministers there are saints of God that want me to make it and I'm, I'll, I'll say this, okay? I'm going to throw this out here. Call people and talk to them. Call them. I try to call the people that sometimes I get concerned about. There's no way I can call everybody. Well, I guess I could, but I wouldn't be able to write long sermons. And I need to preach long sermons to y'all. Okay, but let me finish this up. I was talking to Brother Naylor about this message I was talking to, the, to him about this matter of hope. He said, he said, you know, he said, whenever I was a kid and uh, he lives in Danville, Kentucky, his grandfather lived up in the foothills of Kentucky. And y'all, some of you that, that are older, you remember the old country store concept. I hate that we don't have country stores too much anymore. But, but Brother Naylor said that his grandfather would take him into that country store and uh, he said his, his granddaddy would give him some money. And he'd say, Wayne, you, you go get you something. And Wayne said, I'd always go. I'd get me a Coke. I'd get me some chips and a candy bar. And then I'd walk over there and I'd grab a pack of Topps baseball cards. Some of y'all may remember that. And he said, I'd walk up to that counter and he said, I'd stand there. And he said, I, I was so young, I couldn't do all the math. He said, but I was always afraid. I, I, don't, I don't know if I have enough money. I don't know if I have enough money. He said, I'd put that stuff on the counter. And he said, that man, he'd start totaling everything up. And he said, he'd say, this is the total. And Brother Naylor said, I never had enough money. He said, but I always heard my granddaddy say, I'm, I'm, I'm good for it. I'm, I'm good for it. Can I tell you something here tonight? That that's the way God works in our lives. It's just say, Lord, I don't, I don't have enough. I, I'm not. I'm not there. And the Lord says, I, "I'm good for it. I'm. I'm. I'm taking care of it for you." 
And I was looking out the window two weeks ago. I was going to preach this two weeks ago whenever we had a great move of the Spirit in here. And I looked out my window and walking across the parking lot, my dad had Asher by the hand. There was cars coming into the church, people parking. My dad had Asher by the hand and he was walking him across that parking lot. And that, that illustrates perfectly what I'm preaching to you here tonight. As you think, Lord, I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect enough. This has happened in my past. I, I, I got involved with that. And Lord, Lord I, I know, I know, Lord, it's fine. I got your hand. I'm going to walk you. I'm going to walk a 78-year-old walking a four-year-old across the parking lot. That's what the Lord is doing for you. And that's the hope that you can have in your salvation. Lord, I'm preaching to people. Lord, many of them, I have known them for years. Lord, many of them I have witnessed, Lord, you working greatly by your Spirit in their lives. And yet I know, Lord, that every one of us, that if we're honest with ourselves, that we always feel like that we're coming up short. But our salvation, it is not dependent Lord, holy on my performance. But I'm saved by your grace. And your grace and your mercy moves me, Lord, to a place of walking in holiness and in faith. But Lord, most of all, it walks me in a place of hope. And that, Lord, that you are going to save us. I pray, Lord, tonight that this church, God, has been encouraged, Lord, by these words that were written thousands of years ago. When Paul was writing it, Lord, to a pressured church, a persecuted church, a challenged church. But those words, Lord, they come through to every one of us here tonight. And I pray, God, that you help, Lord, us take this word and mix it, Lord, with faith. And we have confidence, Lord, that's going to bring hope to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. I'd like for you to stand and step out from where you're at. And I'd like for you just to come up and Stand in this altar area and just lift your hands. I want you to pray not only for yourself, but I want you to reach over and put your hand on somebody next to you and say, Lord, let there be great confidence that comes into our hearts and into our lives because of the Spirit that you have placed in our hearts and in our lives.